In honor of this episode's topic, my guest sounds like a robot. This is the Veteran Wargamer. This is the Veteran Wargamer. I'm your host, Jay Arnold. Welcome to Episode 5. We'll talk to Tim Spakowski about modern gaming in this episode. First, we'll talk about modern gaming figures with Special Artisan Service Miniatures and King's Hobbies and Games' own Tim Spakowski. Tim, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you doing, Jay? I am just pleased as punch to be talking to you today. Um, I guess what we need to discuss first is what is Special Artisan Service Miniatures? Special Artisan Service Miniatures is a U.S.-based miniature company. We offer high-detailed miniature gaming uh, pieces, figures, terrain, vehicles, and uh, what I'm trying to do is really bring a good, strong force of a miniature company from the United States. We have a lot of gamers in the United States, and we're used to going over to Europe to purchase the new cool stuff. So the main objective is to serve the US-based gamers and provide high-quality products, great toys for our table. Okay, so basically just trying to provide uh, a new source of, of figures here in the United States. Um, what can you tell us about your Kickstarter? Uh, the first Kickstarter that Special Arts and Service Ventures is producing is the contractor range and it's set in the uh, theater of Benghazi. Um, so we've produced a number of figures that are contractor figures that can be used in the Benghazi theater of course as well as other theaters uh, where uh, conflicts are occurring today. Okay so pretty much when you say contractor, you're not talking about the guy that's uh, serving food on the KBR line. You're talking about security contractors. Yeah, we're, we're talking about security contractors that are providing protection for uh, high-value targets uh, for individuals, for groups that are providing security in areas of the world where um, other people uh, aren't providing. Okay. And, and what was your inspiration behind this project? You know, it's funny because I am a 20 millimeter gamer and I've got a ton of 20 millimeter figures, but I, and I've had many conversations with other US companies right now who are trying to uh, put more fuel on the 20 millimeter line. Um, my thought was there are a lot of game, a lot, a lot of gamers who are moving from uh, 40K and other uh, sci-fi games they are playing uh, bolt action that are used to 28 millimeter are true heroic or whatever heroic scale figures. Mm -hmm. So I wanted, I see that right now, uh, uh, modern gaming in 28 millimeter is pretty hot. Yeah. And I definitely saw that there was a need to uh, insert myself into that area. And I thought the best would be to do a 28 millimeter range and in an area where no one has done it yet. And that would be the Benghazi conflict. Okay. And um, what's what's next for Special Artisan Service Miniatures? Well, currently, like so when the, the Kickstarter ends and ends in December 30th, the next Kickstarter, which will be in January, probably the second week in January, will be uh, World War II based in 28 millimeter. Mm -hmm. And um, that will be a, a Kickstarter that is around a team of people in France looking for a high value target. 
And uh, so uh, it, I'm very, very excited about that range. And that will then spawn in another range after that of uh, US Airborne. So it's each Kickstarter is fueling the next Kickstarter. And then <clears throat> after that second World War II range, we'll go back and uh, go and do some more modern stuff. Uh, I, I shifted gears quickly because uh, I was going to do another modern uh, Kickstarter after the Benghazi contractor ones, but I, I saw that right now there's a lot of figures coming out from different companies. Um, a lot of the companies are in Europe, of course, and I thought, you know, I'm just adding more figures into a range uh, where it's kind of getting inundated with it right now. So let's back away and shift our gears to uh, another period, another uh, theater. So that's why okay. we went with World War II. But <clears throat> uh, I'm I'm constantly making new vehicles. Uh, I, I take requests from people in all the Facebook groups, and uh, in particular the Bolt Action Group, uh, and I fulfill needs that aren't met by the bigger companies, the bigger mm -hmm. European companies. I, it, I'm quite surprised of the demand. Yeah. There's demand yeah. for artillery pieces, demand for obscure vehicles that I'm sure from a, a, a big company perspective, it would cost a lot of money to produce and get the metal molds far. Mm -hmm. But yet for, for someone like myself, uh, I'm fitting that need rather nicely. Yeah. That, that, that then extends into terrain. Uh, buildings for Middle East buildings, uh, buildings for Italian uh, theater, World War II, all sorts of stuff. It's, it's just, it's, it's huge. Right, and so you're talking about utilizing your your assets with the uh, the 3D printing, not only your designers but also your your printer farm that you have. That's correct. Yeah, and uh, the printers I have are are very nice. Uh, uh, they're ex expensive printers. They're not the most expensive printers, of course, but they are pretty prosumer grade and can produce a very very nice detailed uh, model, which then will get casted and then uh, use for, for resin. Then that's what I'm gonna do for vehicles for the Benghazi Kickstarter. We mm -hmm. have two SUVs and another one's gonna be coming out soon um, as, as just to get more people to, to jump in, but all those will be resin casted. Okay, so I guess we uh, I, I took a right when I should have taken a left, I guess. I, we need to discuss what is involved with this current Kickstarter, I guess. Uh, how many figures are we looking at? What what vehicles, that sort of thing? Um, well, th there are 10 figures in the, in the Kickstarter, as well as the two vehicles that are being offered. One I call like a T-Wagon, um, which is a, a luxury uh, uh, SUV that's, that's being used throughout different theaters. And there is a, uh, a, a, a Tinho, which is a, uh, another version of a suburban type you know, SUV. Uh, so there, the, the vehicles that are part of the Kickstarter are SUVs that are that are being used today. Right. And uh, with your 3D printing capability, are you in the future? Do you think uh, you'll be redoing those in a in different scales, perhaps? The, that's the beauty of of 3D printing and digital uh, that they can be printed at any scale. Right. They, I've printed them in 10 millimeter all the way up to uh, one uh, 135th scale. Mm -hmm. <laughs> By accident, I had upscaled <laughs> too big, and 
Uh, oh my god, that thing is huge. So it was, yeah, it went up to one thirty fifth scale. So yeah, I, yeah, the, the the possibilities are endless. You know, right? And then you know, it's definitely right. a change in the in the gaming uh, community. And it's funny because I, I've I'm learning a lot about this industry now, mm-hmm. and I'm learning about. Uh, how people can be very competitive and threatened <laughs> by things, right. and, and when so I quickly see that uh, people follow are following my model. They're they're now getting three D printers and they're now doing what I'm doing. So it's 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 neat to see. Uh, it's a compliment in a way. Uh, yeah. But uh, and 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 the thing is, I'm not in the competitive world. I'm not here to compete. I'm, I'm here to offer good products and. The, the most important thing is to inspire gamers so that they have fun and that they can inspire others. Right, right. You know, that's that's it. That's the whole deal of it. Okay. And and one thing I'd like to note is that if if folks have been following the following the King's Hobbies and Games or the Special Artisan Service uh, Facebook pages, you can see many of the different products that, that Tim's been working on recently, including a number of more obscure World War II artillery pieces, for example. And you don't have to go far afield to find World War II-era equipment in, in active service uh, in the <laughs> conflicts in the Middle East and in the Balkans. I, I re- remember personally seeing a number of knocked-out T-34s when I was in Bosnia. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And uh, a lot of the African bush wars, these artillery pieces <laughs> are over there. So oh, yeah. uh, it, it's it's very interesting. I find it very interesting that um, there is such demand for these things and that, that they're not being made. I'm very surprised. Right. Uh, but yeah, that's that's what I, I, I try to do is to find the obscure stuff. And believe me, there's some really obscure stuff that, that are out there that I just don't do because the demand just isn't there for me. Right. Uh, I, I try to get at least five to six orders uh, prepaid prior to me designing and spending the time and energy getting the model designed and then go from there. Uh, but, you know, and I always welcome uh, suggestions to people. And because of the gaming community, because of those guys in those groups, they're the ones that are fueling my efforts. Mm-hmm. They're the ones giving me the ideas because I guess I'm listening. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm, I'm listening because I care and I have the means to produce. Right. Right, absolutely. And uh, just as a reminder, Tim, where where can folks find you on the Internet and on Facebook? Well, so I have my stores, kingshobbiesandgames.com, and then the Facebook page is Kings Hobbies and Games. That's where I will uh, be selling all and I do sell all the miniatures vehicles uh, that I produce. I, I am selling them there. The there is also a Facebook group for special artisan service miniatures, and the, you can join that group. It's, it's an open group. There you'll you will see all the latest and greatest news and and new items that are coming out. So I, I welcome you to join that. Um, also, uh, my name is. Uh, Tim Spikowski. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, feel free to message me. Uh, and you can also email me at tim at kingshobbiesandgames.com. All right. Thanks a lot, Tim. Uh, after the short break, uh, we'll talk some more with Tim about modern gaming. 
All right, Tim, thanks for sticking with us. Okay, and just like everybody else who comes on the show, what makes you a veteran wargamer? Well, my dad got me gaming when I was four years old. And then a store moved close to my mom's house within walking distance. I started gaming there when I was 15, and I've been gaming with a lot of these guys uh, since then. I'm 43, so it's been a while. So mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've seen a lot. Uh, I've been in, in the areas where new miniatures such as Warhammer 40K comes out and, and Battletech and all that sort of stuff. So I guess I'm considered a little bit old school uh, in that range. So Okay. And so it sounds like a little bit of science fiction, a little bit of uh, fantasy, a little bit of historical. Um, what historical periods have you uh, been been uh, dabbling in mostly? Uh, Napoleon X, American Civil War, uh, French Indian War. I, I do a lot of historicals. I actually prefer historicals over science fiction. Uh, mm-hmm. I play science fiction. But, you know, it, the historicals are really my thing. I love British colonials that have done a lot of, uh, we just did Rourke's Drift over at convention that was local in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did a uh, Isamana Battle of Isamana light version a couple months ago. So, and we're now gearing up for uh, Sudan. Yeah, uh, I, I, I recall seeing the pictures from your Zulu Wars games, and unfortunately I, haven't, I have not been able to attend any of those. Uh, um, I was actually at Walt Disney World during during Command Con, so right. I, I might have had the better weekend. But <laughs> yes. you did, um, I'm sure. Yeah, I, you and I are both huge Walt Disney World fans. That goes that that's mm. pretty evident if you come to either of our houses. But mm. uh, um, what uh, I guess this is as good a segue as as any into um, you know why we're here talking today and that's modern gaming and I just wanted to get your thought on you know if we have to define things and that's that's the big challenge in this hobby isn't it defining things I mean it's easy enough to say well the Napoleonic Wars were from the you know from the first whiff of grape shot in Paris to 1815 I mean it's a relatively easy period to 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 mark or you know American Civil War is 1861 to 1865 but in your view what do we when we say modern wargaming what is what does that mean you know modern wargaming when I was younger I remember I did not want to game the Vietnam conflict mm-hmm. and for a lot of these the vets it was too soon for them so that was just kind of the, the, we just didn't broach that subject. We skipped over it and we gamed Falklands, um, Grenada, Panama, in various scales, micro armor, 20 millimeter, 15 millimeter, that sort of stuff. And it was funny because a lot of us wanted to do what we would consider at the time present military actions. So that would have been Cold War, the height of the Cold War for us, you know, mm-hmm. um, or even right after it. There weren't a lot of manufacturers out there. There were several in the UK, but they, from what I remember, they were obscure from the United States. When I say modern warfare, I'm saying something, the, the, the theaters that are reflected uh, post 9-11. Okay. So when 9-11, of course, changed 
a lot of our lives. And it also changed the lives of the younger generations who some of them weren't even born when it happened, but now they're here or they were in their teens and they're used to seeing on the, on the television, on the news, the conflicts that's going on in the various theaters. They then enact those on Xbox or PlayStation 4 or whatever like that. And so then the next step for them is they want to actually have it on the tabletop. Right. So when I say modern gaming, I'm, I'm speaking of conflicts post 9-11 and then future conflicts. Um, and a lot of guys would use the term ultra-modern. Well, ultra-modern is, I would say, 20, 30 years, maybe, possibly. I don't know. I, you know, I, who knows? I, 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 there's a lot of what-ifs when you do ultra-modern gaming. Right. You know, uh, say, for example, the Iron Man suit. That the, There's various prototypes out there right now for the US Iron Man suit. Well, that would be considered, in my opinion, ultra-modern gaming. Uh, uh, and is there going to be a suit like that? Oh, yes, I'm sure there is. But I don't. I don't. Uh, that's not the kind of ultra-modern gaming that I'm into. I'm into more of what's going on. What can we uh, uh, put on the table as far as Syria conflict or modern bush wars or you know mm-hmm. Mexico? You know, right with uh, the, uh, with the drug cartel. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cartel right, on right. cartel or cartel on government uh, action certainly. Um, sure. I, it's definitely you know, one of those things where if you look at different manufacturers of not just figures, but also games, the, the definition of modern varies pretty greatly. I, from what I've seen looking around is uh, there are some companies that pretty much say 1980 or or more, you know, 1980 to present is modern. But I've also seen some companies declare anything after World War II is modern. And I think there might be there might be some credence to that if you just take a look at take a look at it from the aspect of most of the conflicts up until you know 1990 or so were one way or another either direct or proxy wars between the two main blocks uh you know the the US slash NATO uh block versus the Soviet Union and the communist world and mm-hmm. then you've got the third world nations where these conflicts actually took place. So there's, I think there's certainly something to be said about that. There's also the technology aspect of, well, quite frankly, since World War II, there hasn't been any high intensity conflict to speak of because for the most part, since they are these proxy wars, if they got out of hand, then there's a definite possibility of a nuclear exchange. Right. Right. And yeah. just like anything else in in gaming, it's it's certainly open to interpretation, and you know we can have discussions about this until we're blue in the face. And luckily for our listeners, my format's basically one hour in length, so <laughs> <laughs> um, we won't have to worry about that too much. And and I think uh, yeah, I think that's that's pretty fair to say, especially when you take a look, like we were saying like we were discussing earlier in the previous segment, you know, equipment from the 50s and 60s, or even 40s for that matter, still being in use on the battlefield of the world, the battlefields right. of the world today. Yep, yep, it's true. You know, and, and now 
there are more companies that are producing miniatures for like say late 70s uh, mercenaries in in South Africa right so you could definitely say that that classified as modern war uh, I guess just as open to interpretation you know yeah. again for me and, and I will gain that and and I I am working for one company right now developing vehicles for their 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 late bush war uh, stuff so but again for me for my focus right now is um, post 9/11 and the conflicts uh, that are currently going on today yeah yeah um, I guess I guess we'll need to take a look at what are you know some of the games and companies that are making games for the modern era and I'd like to expand our definition to include, at, at the very least, the Cold War, um, because there is a current game out that's, you know, based centrally on a Cold War going hot, and of course that's Team Yankee from Battlefront. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, there there seems to be a big following, and uh, you know, I only have uh, a limited view from my, from my sales here. And I, I know even in the St. Louis area, I'm not really aware of too many Team Yankee players. There, uh, there seems to be a lot in the Chicago area, um, mm-hmm. as well as near California and stuff. And they are loving the Cold War Team Yankee stuff, especially the newer Germans and the British that are coming out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's it, in that case, it's popular. And it's that's in 15 millimeter, and for for guys that uh, want to stay in 15 millimeter but do a Cold War stuff, if you haven't heard about it, Team Yankee uh, looks like it's it's popular. Yeah, and I should note for the any Team Yankee players that are listening, of course, it's not just Battlefront that does 15 millimeter moderns or even Cold War stuff. You've got uh, QRF out of Britain. Uh, you've got uh, Peter Pig, also out of Britain. Uh, you've got um, well, Old Glory USA with their uh, uh, command decision line, both right. the World War II and, and the Cold War slash modern line. And so there's plenty of companies out there besides Battlefront doing uh, Cold War slash modern stuff in, in 15 mil. So there's you, you can definitely take your pick. I've got a friend out in California who is using uh, 187th Roco mini tanks, the, the HO scale plastic kits from Germany to do Team Yankee. But, yeah, uh, and as well as there's a lot, ton of, a lot of people using six mil uh, micro armor for Team Yankee yeah. because uh, they have it and they are adapting it. And yeah, I mean, Alan Rockwell. He's he's pretty big with creating terrain and stuff from GameCraft miniatures and mm-hmm. uh, yeah that's it's definitely and what's interesting about you know a lot of the companies that you mentioned they've been around for a, a while and I think with Battlefront coming on the scene with Team Yankee they're offering a newer fresher um, models you know, different marketing, and they've got their their company name behind them, so... Yeah, well, it's the package deal with Battlefront. It's just straight up, that's what it is. Because if you, you know, you go and buy your U.S. infantry platoon, well, you've got your three rifle squads, and you've got your weapon squad, and you've got your platoon leadership all in one pack. 
Whereas if, for example, you go with Old Glory 15s, you're, you know, you got to buy a pack of, you know, you got to buy a pack of 50 guys with saws. Okay, right. Well, that's great. You do one platoon. What are you going to do with the other 44 saws? Right. You know? Right. <laughs> and, um, you know, that, that's an extreme example, of course. You know, the, it's like the example I always use when talking about using Old Glory stuff or Old Glory 15s for uh, World War Two. You know, what am I going to do with 50 Panzer Shreks? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that would drive me crazy. I, yeah. I, yeah. Yes. I, I had a lot of the Old Glory 15 millimeter Germans <laughs> and British. Yeah. And now the flip side of that coin is Peter Pig because all their figures are in packs of eight. And that makes it real handy because if you're building a platoon, well, you're probably going to need about eight guys with saws, give or take, you know, might, you might have a couple left over and, you know, you buy two packs of riflemen and that's all the riflemen you need. And, a, you know, a pack of guys with M203s and you're pretty well sorted out. So it's a, at the end of the day, though, you're still having to piece together different packs to make right. the same platoon. Yeah, and right. there's a little bit more of the research aspect there that, might not be there with the battlefront approach, which is the if you like an American army, then here's what you need to buy X, Y, right. and Z. <laughs> yeah, and I, I will say when I was doing 15 mole gaming, Peter Pig was my choice, mm-hmm. uh, I, and I still I love his Martin's style of sculpting, and uh, they're great figures. I I, yeah. I, mean, I love his his lines. Yeah, and it's I almost just... I Sudan. I almost went into Sudan uh, with this 15 millimeter range, but uh, for whatever reason, my insanity took hold, and I got into 28 millimeters for Sudan and got yeah. parried. But if I didn't do 28s, I would have done Peter Pig 15 millimeter Sudan figures. Yeah, and uh, it should be noted, of course, you know, if we are using that expanded concept of modern. You know, Peter Pig has African Bush War figures, uh, you know, mercenaries, they've got local forces, they've got local militias, they've got local regular forces. Uh, I think, well, they've got a Vietnam range also. And you know what's interesting? I'm glad you're bringing all of this up because I remember trying to do, again, what I call modern pre-9... Or post 9-11 gaming in 15 millimeter and it was damn difficult um, so I was buying Peter Pig uh, figures and swapping heads and mm-hmm. yeah, this figure has got an FN but what the heck I mean you know so you're, you're trying to make it work yeah and which which required a lot of effort um, but you know nowadays what I, I think with the Popularity of 28 millimeter with companies out there that's producing high quality 28 millimeter figures, you don't have to do that. You, right. I mean, we are making ranges now. You know, if you want to have um, a platoon or a squad of SAS or Delta or whatever, you buy the figures. You know, right. so that is so much easier now. <laughs> yeah, there's. It's been said in various places on online that we are in the golden age of miniatures gaming, and I have to. I have to agree. You know, I completely agree. Yeah, I, I see. I see. There's a twofold thing, though. I had this conversation today uh, with a customer. With the there's 
you know, when you and I were much younger, there weren't that many stores. And um, now there are even fewer brick and mortar stores in the United States. Now there's tons of internet and everyone's, not everyone, but a lot of people are just starting up new stores, new businesses daily. So then now you're seeing a lot of the, the companies starting from scratch, like myself, who are jumping in the same market. And one guy came to me today and said, hey, I'm gonna do 3D modeling. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make barrels and crates. And I said to him, you know, that's already done. You gotta do something different. That's <laughs> gotta, you have to offer something different. So it, it's like, it, we're in the golden age, but I, hopefully it doesn't get too crowded where it's just so much out there um, it's going to get hard to determine who to go with. I, right. I don't know, but that's just my two cents. Right. And even if you're not doing, you know, not to get too far on off on a tangent on, on the miniatures, ga the gaming miniatures industry, even if you're doing this, something that's been done before, if you're doing it in a different way or you're presenting it in a different way, then that could be your, your unique selling proposition from a marketing standpoint. Because if you take a look at just, you know, for to take a look at a segment like, you know, Ancients Gaming, everybody that does figures for Ancients Gaming does Romans and Celts or yeah. Romans yeah. and Carthaginians. That's right. You know, pretty much everybody does some form of Roman. Now, luckily, there's about six or seven hundred years, depending on how you want to <laughs> mark the beginning and end of the Roman experience in the West. Um you know, there's four or five distinct looks you can do with Romans, and you know, or you could do, you know, you could have Celts go against them, or you can have Celt Iberians going against them, or you can have Britons going against them, or you can have Carthaginians going against them, and but yeah, at the end of the day, pretty much every company that does ancients, no matter what scale, they all do some form of Roman and some form of Roman adversary. Right. But yep. but they're doing it in slightly different ways. And I think that's that's really you know, that's really a differentiation if you're wanting to get into the get into the industry. And that's not to say that any yeah, anybody can, but to be successful you're gonna have to really put a lot of work into it. And I think it, it's gonna show if you're not putting your full effort behind it. But uh, I had a friend uh, had the idea that he wanted to open up a store, and his idea of it was, "Oh, you just open it up and you let it run itself." <laughs> okay. Uh, so, uh, needless to say, that was someone that I did not partner with. Um, yeah. Uh, because that's that's no, it's, especially in this day and age with social media, you can't just put stuff on the web and then you know, sit back in your chair and just wait for sales to come in. <laughs> right. Right. You know, the, the age old, the age old story about how to make a million bucks in the gaming industry is first start with 2 million bucks. Right. Right. Now, but anyway, let's, let's get out of that inside baseball industry talk. And, sure. um, so if we're going to expand the modern era, uh, we're going to have to talk about different theaters and different games. Um, one of the, Main, well, I don't want to say main, but one of the more prominent 28 or 15 mil games of the last 10 years is certainly 
uh, Ambush Alley and Force on Force from Ambush Alley Games. Most definitely. I, and, I, I, yeah. Sorry. Full, full disclosure, Tim and I are both on the playtest group for Ambush Alley Games. Hi, Sean. So um, we've got a little bit more insight to how things went down with Osprey and all the expansions, but uh, Ambush Alley is one of the more popular modern or hyper-modern, ultra-modern, whatever term you want to use, uh, games to come out in the last 10 to 15 years. Uh, Ambush Alley is marked by, uh, if you're not familiar, uh, is marked by uh, asymmetric warfare. That is a conventional force, such as the U.S. Army or U.S. Marines or British Army or British Marines or whoever, going up against some type of insurgent force, some type of force that is technologically disadvantaged or materially disadvantaged or economically disadvantaged in some fashion. And there's a... I don't know how many official books were ended up being put out by Ambush Alley under Osprey. It's got to be at least half a dozen. Right. Um, now, Force on Force is exactly what it sounds like. It's more of a low, mid, or high intensity conflict between two, basically between two nation states, or two roughly equivalent forces. But uh, the big advantage for getting into Ambush Alley or Force on Force, and it's there. you can still get, get them on Amazon. It, they're not hard to find, uh, the books. You can also order uh, PDFs. Um, they did, well, actually one of the bigger supplements they did was for Vietnam called Ambush Valley. Uh, there was a supplement for the war in Iraq. There was a uh, supplement for Afghanistan. There's a supplement, there's a smaller supplement, but the American experience in Somalia uh, called... Uh, Day of the Rangers. Uh, yeah, the book was called Day of the Rangers, but basically it covers the the lead up to that, or the lead up to the... Uh, the Black Hawk Down incident in uh, 93. Let's see, they did a Cold War Gone Hot book as well. Uh, I'm trying to think what else did they do? Um, Afghanistan, Enduring Freedom. Yeah, there's Afghanistan. There's also a Special Operations book, which is really right. interesting because it covered Special Operations from, well, from World War II all the way to the present day, or yep. at least 2010 anyway. And so if, if you're wanting to get into, if someone's wanting to get into modern gaming, you're, you're going to be well, well served by picking up Ambush Alley or Force on Force. Um, just taking a look at my notes here. Um, Charlie Don't Surf is a Vietnam era game from Two Fat Lardies. I've talked about the Lardies before and how great their games are, really innovative. I haven't played Charlie Don't Surf, but I, I'm led to believe that they're pretty popular for Vietnam games at the company level, meaning that you're playing with a company. Uh, of course, we talked about Team Yankee. Um, I think Team Yankee, from what I've seen, suffers from the same problems that all of Battlefronts games do, is that with using 15 mil models, and especially with modern vehicles being so much larger than World War II vehicles... It ends up looking like a, if you're using 15 mil figures, it, it ends up looking like a, like a motor pool on the table. It does, yeah. Yep. And, and I don't know if it's changed much, but with Flames of War, it's all you go, I go. And the the great thing, 
behind rules like force on force was it's man you can't sit down i mean it's action reaction and that's what what i thought was one of the greatest things about force on force oh yeah absolutely the uh you go i go it persists and i don't understand why it's just uh to me it seems a pretty dated mechanism and you really have to inject additional rules mechanisms to fight that um things like overwatch or you know interrupting actions and things like that and it gets i don't know how to it just it doesn't work anymore Mm -hmm. for lack of a better term and you know people say well in chess you go back and forth yeah but you don't use you don't move all 16 pieces in one go in chess yeah you know if you want to make that argument chess is more of an alternating activation type system but again i <laughs> we're getting well we're getting, going down the road of rules mechanisms but yeah I, I think the technology of rules have changed and it's more we're moving more into a dynamic version um versus a static meaning i you go i go so right. um and especially if you're doing modern getting back to the modern topic it is high intensity very fast conflicts i mean it's just in a lot of cases uh, and, and you know you'll if you talk to sean one of the most popular books that they had was the uh, special ops books because guys were wanting to do the hollywood missions they're wanting to do the small squads of uh delta being dropped in some place and taken out mm-hmm. you know so it, it's got a quick and fast and uh so that's what i think a lot of that what has to be offered for the modern games oh absolutely absolutely um well i think i'd be remiss if i didn't talk about other types of modern gaming that um some folks might overlook um check your six jet age is an aerial combat game and it's exactly yeah, what it fun. sounds like it's it's korea all the way to modern day and uh, you know you you take the role of basically it's you as a pilot or three or four pilots. Um, I play it. My brother's a big huge fan of Check Your Six, both World War Two and Jet Age, and uh, it's neat in that you can you know there's a certain number of maneuvers you can perform with your with your aircraft and. It flows pretty well. It's not as super fast as X-Wing miniatures is, but it gives it goes into a lot more detail also. And it's detail that's appropriate for the scale that you're playing. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, uh, he's got a really nice setup for Vietnam era. And, uh, you know, going guns versus missiles. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's an interesting yep. choice because you, you expend ammunition and you expend missiles in the game. And you mark them on your little on your little data card for for each airplane that you have, but uh, that's that's definitely one worth checking out in my opinion. That's check your six jet age, um, and of course you know if you're talking about an aircraft game, you're gonna talk about aircraft miniatures. And there are a number of companies that do uh, one three hundred scale, so basically the equivalent of six millimeter or micro armor scale aircraft. Uh, GHQ, of course, uh, they're they're the granddaddies of six mil, at least for twentieth uh, century stuff, and you're you're going to be hard pressed to find anybody who makes nicer models in any scale than GHQ, in my opinion. 
Yeah. Yep. Present they company do. accepted Tim. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, they 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 uh, they seem just getting better and better. Yeah. Yeah, and and talking about doing ultra modern stuff, they were the first. I think they're still the only people to do six millimeter, uh, six millimeter M wraps. I was just gonna say, yeah, and I I remember my uh, my old teacher Bill Darden. He worked with uh, Tom. I believe his name was Tom of GHQ and developing and working on those MRAPs and uh, Special Forces Hummers and, and Little Birds, all that sorts of stuff. Right. So, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I'm a big fan of another company out of Minnesota called PFC CNC for 6 mil stuff. They're not as exquisite as the GHQ stuff is, but they're very not, they're very serviceable. They're, they do what they, what they need to do. And, Quite frankly, they definitely pass a three-foot test. You know, where you hold the miniature at three feet and it looks great, then it's that's good enough. Um, now, I've gotten into doing aerial gaming with one six-hundredth scale or three mil stuff, and there's a company out of Poland called Odziol Odziol Osmi that makes really great stuff. It, they're distributed here in the U.S. by a company called Pico Armor out of Indiana, and it's just a lot of fun to to play with these small planes because a a modern jet's only about an inch and a half long, and so yeah. when you're when you're moving moving the model six inches, it looks like it's really moving across the table real fast. <laughs> and there are folks that game with one one forty fourth scale aircraft, and they they get pretty big, and then even bigger one one hundredth scale aircraft or one seventy second. And at that point, if you're going to be using models of that size in my opinion you know just get like a three foot stand and play on the floor and that way you can really get that sense of distance um, now if you're talking modern naval anybody who's played modern naval games is going to look at Harpoon which is a originally started as a board game back in the 80's and uh, I've never played Harpoon I've only heard horror stories about it because it is it's drenched in detail and yep. possibly levels of detail that might not be appropriate for the level of command that you're replicating. And that's a whole other discussion. But by the same token, I've, I've heard of plenty of guys who have fond memories of playing harpoon, uh, on a, you know, on a classroom floor, uh, using either chits or with one 2400 scale, uh, ship models. Do you have any experience with harpoon? I, I played it. I played it once. I used to own the, the box set, and yeah, it's a, it's a slow system. Um, but you know, I I've never really been into naval gaming, so it wasn't really my cup of tea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the uh, like I said, that it seems it, the guys that would play it more than once really loved it. I guess the best way that I could describe it for science fiction gamers is it's Starfleet battles on water. <laughs> and it's probably being a little generous. Mm -hmm. You know, just from the horror stories I've heard. But apparently it's it's really, really accurate at what it portrays. Right, and it's got a following, you know. Oh, it does. Guys. It does. And I'll probably get death threats from some of them, but I can live with that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Now, as we move up and down the scale of command, uh, 
you know, whether you're a squad leader in a game like Ambush Alley or a company commander in Charlie Don't Surf or Team Yankee, uh, you've also got various board games from companies like uh, Avalon Hill and GDW, and they ran the gamut also. I, in Episode 2, I talked about the Team Yankee game that GDW put out in the 80s, which was, uh, you know, one shit equals a vehicle. And uh, I know my brother had some fun with that. Now, a game that I like to play from Victory Games was called NATO, and that was a strategic level game where one player was the Warsaw Pact and the other player was was NATO. Um, have you seen that one, Tim? Yeah, I do remember that game. Yep. Yeah, and NATO <laughs> NATO has my favorite rule of any war game ever, and it's the rule on how to handle a nuclear exchange. Yeah, nuclear. <laughs> and in a game of NATO, if you initiate a, a, a nuclear exchange, the rules state that you're to take out lighter fluid, soak the board in lighter fluid, and put a match to it. So Probably the most ever, accurate. What's that? Did you ever do it? <laughs> I did not. I'm, I was too chicken to do so, but I got to say it's probably the most, you know, potentially most accurate war game rule ever. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's because it's over. <laughs> yeah, it's you're you're done then, and then there's no coming back. Um, well, I mean that that's an interesting place to diverge and start talking about what if scenarios, because of course games like Team Yankee and NATO. Those are all what-if scenarios in and of themselves. And if you are of a certain age, like Tim and myself, then you will definitely remember a certain role-playing game called Twilight 2000. Yes, and there is still a, a huge following to Twilight 2000. And I, you know, I, I loved that game when it came out. I thought it was one of the coolest games ever. Yeah. You, you, specific uh, weapons and you could kit yourself out and it was it was just a cool game. Yeah. Uh Twi- the premise of Twilight 2000 is that the there there is a conventional war that breaks out in Europe between the Warsaw Pact and NATO which leads to limited nuclear exchanges and limited chemical and biological exchanges and basically you and your group are surviving in that essentially post post apocalyptic setting. And mm-hmm. the I remember the I never played it. I only looked at the the resources for it. And I just remember there being dense, dense, dense amounts of data on any vehicle you can imagine from the Warsaw Pact, any vehicle you can imagine from NATO, uh, small arms for both, artillery, aircraft, you name it they had it. And the uh it like I said, I never played it, but it does seem like uh, a pretty rich mind to to tap as far as settings concerned. Um, I know that it's at the time it had a really uh, rabid following, and from what you say, there's there's still some some folks oh, yeah. who are really into it, right. and and I can believe that, and uh, you know that's. That's the that's pretty much the ultimate what if you know, and uh, right there, I would think. Well, I, I think you know the the what ifs uh, was could have been or or can still be the resurgence of the, the uh, Cold War. 
right that and uh got a lot of narco uh stuff going on and the, i mean guys are wanting to game that today mm-hmm. you know so and that goes back to having a set of rules that can do squad based high detailed squad based you know dynamic actions right and then you know something you know if you take a twilight 2000 scenario as your jumping off point you know it's not you're not too far off from doing a zombie apocalypse and we can you know do we maybe consider zombie apocalypse types games to be an offshoot of modern or are we getting too far into science fiction or fantasy at that point i i for me i would game it um but there are other guys who are older than us that i have seen that draw the line between wargaming and zombies <laughs> so no they're serious so um i i you bring up a good point there i i think that gets more into more of the science fiction type what if scenarios mm-hmm. um uh, but the post-apocalyptic stuff that's that's popular as well, you know. Yeah. But that, but, but I would also question though: is that miniature wargaming? Are you using miniatures? You you are, but you're well, using. Well, that's miniatures. that's the first half. <laughs> you got a big well, check for the first half already. Well, yeah, but I guess um, I don't know. When I think of um, military or historical miniature gaming, are tactical simulation type gaming I don't know I, I just don't see the post-apocalyptic stuff I don't put it in that genre but that's again that's just me you know? well you know I mean it's it's I think it's a worthy discussion to have mm-hmm. um, you know it's certainly you know I'm willing to play anything I'll play anything and everything I'll try everything once and I don't I guess I don't make a differentiation if I'm to me, if the, if it's an armed conflict that you're recreating on the tabletop, whether it's zombies and rad mutants, or it's uh, Napoleon's Imperial Guard, you know, you're still you're still replicating on some level armed conflict using miniatures, and uh, I'm I'm fine with that, and. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm kind of a big tent when it comes to the hobby. I'm I'm a I look at it from a big tent perspective, and I think everybody's welcome, and I think everybody has a place in the tent, and I think it's potentially damaging to the hobby when we try to be exclusive. Now that's not to say that you can't have your preference, you know, because I'm probably never going to have a Dark Ages game set up. Mm-hmm. You know, I've heard great things about Saga. I've heard great things about Dux Britanniarum, but I'll probably never play that. Um, you know, there's there's an argument there. You know, is that a war game? You know, or is that? You know, are they? Are they organized state actors, or are they little more than, you know, thieves and 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 robbers? You know, and. Extending that out further, what about a, you know, what about a 1920s or 1930s gangster game? You know, is that a war game? You know, they're definitely non-state actors, but then again, you know, we look at a game like uh, Ambush Alley, and at least one side there is a non-state actor. 
So I think that it poses interesting questions and, in, you know, what is it that we want individually out of our hobby? And, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's, I think it's worth looking into. Um, you know, I'm looking on my bookshelf right now and I've got multiple boxes of commands and colors, Napoleonics and ancients and their expansions. And there's, there's a lot of people who say that even if you play it with miniatures, which I do, it's not a, it's not a miniatures war game. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not I sure what, what <laughs> what's that. I would tend to agree with that, but <laughs> but that you know, it's just your again, it's your own personal taste and your own personal view of, um, you know, what miniature gaming is to you. You know, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. And that's and I well, again, that's another that's a topic for that we could expand on for another you know for <laughs> another discussion. What is miniatures war gaming? Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think there's there's definitely a place there. I, you know, if I were to do, if I were to do a, a Twilight two thousand type miniatures game, you know, I might play around with zombies every once in a while. But there's plenty of real horror going on without introducing zombies in a in a situation like that. Right. Yeah. You know, you, know, you don't have to make up rad mutants to to get into some pretty nasty stuff pretty quick. So. Um, yeah, and speaking of nasty stuff, I guess you know we need to also talk about you know our is there anything out there that's you know too touchy? You mentioned earlier that um, some of the guys that your that you that your dad gamed with you know mm-hmm. wouldn't touch Vietnam, mm-hmm. and that's valid. I mean, my mom had a you know she had a longstanding personal policy that she did not watch movies about Vietnam. Period. Right. I, I think it really, again, it's based on the individual and how that person is touched either um, personally or, you know, having something actually happen to them or a family member or a friend. I know uh, that I, I've been in groups and I've seen people say, well, I'm, I'm not going to play Iraq or Afghanistan, um, and uh, I'll, but I'll play World War II or something like that. I, yeah. You know, I... I don't know. Um, I, I personally have have no problem playing uh, any of that stuff. Uh, you know, I, we're we're playing miniatures. That's 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 all. You know, in, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't know. I again, I, it just gets into more people's personal views, and I'm I'm tend to be uh, very cautious on getting in, in, involved with someone's emotions. Um, and then, you know. Yeah. And, you know, a couple years ago, you came up to my neck of the woods to, to join me at my annual gaming weekend. Mm-hmm. And uh, you brought a very nice-looking Afghanistan game, and I I bowed out. I respectfully, you know, I, I appreciated what you had put into the game, and it looked great. It's just there was something. I'm not ready to game Afghanistan yet, and the odd thing is, I don't have a playing. I don't have a problem playing Iraq games, if that makes sense. And maybe if it was in an imagination type setting, I'd be fine with it. But I don't know. It's I don't have a problem with people playing Afghanistan games. Obviously, I and I can still appreciate what goes into putting together a table and painting the miniatures and getting the scenarios set. 
but it's just I I'm not ready to do Afghanistan, I guess. Right. And you know, that's and like you said, it, you know, there there's no accounting for the human heart, I guess, is what it comes down to. But and you know, there's there's plenty there's certainly plenty of emotional reaction to just about any conflict and you know, we can you know, if you want to take a listen to my previous episode where I talked with Pat Gilliland about reenactment and some of the touchy subjects that come up in, in historical reenactment, you know, at the end of the day, we can't ignore the fact that, you know, bad things happen during war. You know, war's pretty far up there as far as bad things that can happen to people. And some of it gets out of hand and, unfortunately, innocent people get hurt for the wrong reasons. But, um, you know, there's, I don't think anything is necessarily off limits if you handle it appropriately. Yeah, I, I, you know, within the, I I, I think it takes a degree of intelligence to not throw, uh, something very graphic or just, blatantly trying to stir up emotions, especially in a con game. If you're running a con game, I think if, if you're running a game in your basement and you're used to the game, the guys that you're playing with, they're not going to see it as that. Uh, they're just going to see it as part of the table. But I, 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 I see some guys recently making casualty markers and then stuff like that. Like, wow, you know, um, that's I'm I'm surprised you're doing it that way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, why are you doing it that way? What are you trying to uh, incite there? But you know, right. Yeah, yeah and, and looking at it from the big tent perspective, there's certainly room for everything. And but like I said, it's I think you can do just about anything as long as you don't highlight unnecessary suffering. I guess. Is, is part of it and whatever you're doing if there is some type of attempt at understanding the conflict involved or understanding of the tactical situation involved I think there's there's some merit there but if you're just going for the gross out factor right then you're then, <laughs> then we might need to have a talk and we might need to invite you to not come back to a to a session or to a to a convention or whatnot, yeah. um, you know, I, I think I think there's an opportunity though if you do want if someone does want to play some of these scenarios more recent scenarios you can throw an imaginations veneer over it and you know a prime example is the war games the you know one to one scale war games for lack of a better term that the that the U S military does you know if you go to uh, out at NTC National Training Center at Fort Irwin, California, the opposing force used to be the Krasnovians. Right. And yeah. if you are doing any type of advanced training at Fort Bragg, then you're going to be operating in the Republic of Pineland. Mm-hmm. So if you are interested in doing something like Afghanistan, well, don't call it Afghanistan. And, you know, that, that might be a way to. I don't want to say soften the blow, but it gives you the opportunity to divorce it from whatever whatever baggage that might come with the topic. 
if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then you still get the opportunity to, you know, maybe learn a little bit something about the tactics and techniques and procedures that are currently being used or the equipment that's being used. You know, try to recreate some of the tactical situations to get a firmer understanding of, of how things went down or are going down. So, just a thought. Just a yeah, that, that's my whole purpose, really. It, it, for me, is very therapeutic. Um, and uh, it, for me, doing gaming today is what's keeping me from going back in another theater. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I mean, it's... It, I have my conflicts on my table downstairs. Yeah. So (laughs) it works out fine. Yeah. And I can't believe I didn't bring this up previously, but speaking of learning from what's going on now, you've told me about a number of opportunities you had to provide training for uh, deploying U.S. deploying troops to uh, Bosnia. With a with a Srebrenica setup, right? That is correct. Um, prior to 9-11, um, I was part of a company called Command Operations Center. The owner of the LLC, it was an LLC, was Bill Norton, um, and he uh, built a, a 1-300 scale uh, city in Bosnia. And I, I helped with him with you know building all that stuff and painting it. And we traveled all across the country uh, to different uh, military bases. And uh, we went to Quantico. We did uh, gaming on tables, and then we did force on force actions using simunitions, paintball, airsoft, that sort of thing. And it prepared guys uh, who were getting ready to go over. Um, to Iraq at the time, um, and I, I loved doing that. And that we did that here and, and uh, at the Reserve Marine Reserve Center across from Lambert Airport, and had a, a big, huge, big uh, table scenario, which uh, with a huge force on force action in the parking lot. Um, so it, it was putting those guys in that the, that mindset, and that's what I think is very important for miniature gaming. Uh, today, um, there's a lot of people that have a lot of experience uh, uh, that can actually bring that to the table and help guys that are getting ready to go over, uh, you know, make good decisions. I've also been part of many um, force and force training with uh, local uh, and different state SWAT teams doing um, active shooter training and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and CQB stuff. So, yeah. It, to me, it's all just a big, you know, big circle. <laughs> yeah. So, and again, I think if you're if you're getting something out of it, I guess on, there there's nothing that's really off limits as long as there's there's some type of I don't want to say educational purpose, but there's an attempt at understanding on some level, and that's not to say that you can't have fun because if it's not fun, what's the point of doing it? Right. Um, yeah. So. Right. Definitely a big topic. I'd, I'd like to revisit modern gaming at some point uh, in in the future for sure. So, uh, Tim, thanks so much for coming on coming on the show. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah. I, I see that the 
I see that the your first Kickstarter is 100% funded already. Yeah, yeah, it's 100% funded in under 24 hours. Well, that's not too shabby, is it? Though. So, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, um, really, really pleased for your success. Um, hoping Thank to you. see bigger and better things in the future, and I'm sure I will. Uh, on that note, once again, uh, enjoy your gaming. If you're not having fun, you make it fun. All right, that is all. Better War Gamer is copyright J. Arnold 2016. Show notes are available at theveteranwargamer.blogspot.com. Music courtesy of bensound.com. <laughs>